0: Mark chapter 5, we're continuing in the Missio Christi series. This is Missio Christi Renew part 2, spiritual opposition, it's called. Last week we talked about spirit-led missional intentionality. Now we're going to be looking at spiritual opposition. I do want to give a disclaimer before we get to the text that This sermon is not appropriate for children. I would not recommend that any child under the age of junior high uh, be in here. We're going to be talking about demons. We're going to be talking openly about demons. We're going to be sharing some uh, stories. And uh, I don't think it's appropriate for a kid under junior high. So we're going to give you a few minutes to sneak out if that's you. Um, Thank you for doing that. Uh, THOUGH WE'RE GOING TO BE TALKING ABOUT DEMONS TODAY, I DO WANT TO TELL YOU THAT WE'RE, we're TALKING ABOUT THEM in, IN A NARROW SCOPE. OKAY, THERE'S MUCH MORE THAT COULD BE SAID ABOUT DEMONS, BUT we're, WE'RE TALKING ABOUT BEING ON MISSION HERE, RIGHT? THAT'S WHAT WE'RE TALKING ABOUT. SO WE'RE TALKING ABOUT DEMONS IN THE CONTEXT OF COMING AGAINST LOCAL CHRISTIAN MISSION. WE'RE NOT EVEN TALKING ABOUT OVERSEAS MISSION AND WHAT THAT MIGHT LOOK LIKE, BUT DEMONS PUTTING FORTH OPPOSITION TO LOCAL CHRISTIAN MISSION. So a real narrow focus. We're not necessarily talking about demons' general work against believers, though there's some intersections that will take place with that theme here in the sermon. But kind of a narrow, uh, a narrow approach here. If. At the end of the sermon, you're not satisfied. In other words, it created more questions than it answered, which is quite possible. And you want to know more about demons. I've taught more on the subject. You can go to our website. All the messages are free. Search them with the keyword demons, and a bunch of messages will come up that are hopefully helpful to you. If at the end of this sermon you're disturbed in any way, um, you're you're fearful in any way, you're wondering some things, Uh, Anyone on the pastoral staff would be happy to meet with you this week. Call the church, send an email to office at Reality Carp, and we'll get with you and help you through these issues. Last thing I want to say is that this is part two. There is a part three. Unfortunately, because of time constraints at church, we're only going to talk about the spiritual opposition. Next week is Christ's victory over it. So I hate to leave you hanging, and it's a hanger. I hate to leave you on the demon cliff just kind of looking over the edge, but... Against my better judgment, I'm going to do that. and We're going to deal with uh, the victory of Jesus Christ next week. Mark chapter 5. Last week, we read the whole passage, all 20 verses. We'll just read a few verses to refresh our memory this this afternoon. Verse 1 says, And they, meaning Jesus and the disciples, came to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, into the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had come out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him, and he had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain, because he'd often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him, and constantly night and day, among the tombs and in the mountains, he was crying out, and gashing himself with stones. Lord, we thank you that you are, without a doubt, victorious over the devil and over demons. We proclaim here together this afternoon that you are the king of all kings. You're the Lord of all lords. Your name is above every other name. You are exalted above every power, principality, every force of wickedness. You are above them and you're greater than. We believe that you're in the process of renewing the world, of restoring, redeeming everything that has gone wrong, setting right every evil, and that you will one day judge Satan and demons and wickedness. We believe you to be ultimately victorious over these things. We see ourselves at a moment in history where we are caught up in that process, where we are experiencing the conflict. We ask that you make us strong today. Thank you, God, that you have not given us a spirit of fear but of power and love and a sound mind. We ask that you would open our eyes to demonic opposition around us as we're endeavoring to live lives on mission, that we would become more savvy about these things, that we would experience a greater degree of your authority working through us for your glory. And Lord, we ask together that you would not allow me to be in any sort of contradiction with your character or your word. We desperately want to be consonant with your truth and the person of Jesus Christ. So anoint me to rightly teach and preach this beautiful expression of your bride, this church. We ask it together in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, last week we saw in this text that Jesus was intentional about rescuing and renewing this desperate man. We saw missional intentionality with Jesus. He was intentional about going after in order to rescue and renew this desperate man. Now we're gonna see that Jesus is also intentional about confronting and destroying the presence and the work of evil. Jesus is being intentional about confronting and destroying the presence and the work of evil. The Bible tells us that Jesus came for this very reason, 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, that he might do the works of the devil. So because Jesus came to come against the devil, there is a conflict going on. There is a war going on. Christ the king has been, currently is, and will continue to exert his authority, his rule, and his reign over and against the enemy. So there's a very real conflict that's unfolding in history, and our lives are a part of that. In his seminal work, Biblical Demonology, Merrill Unger says this, it was Christ's avowed intention TO ENGAGE THE ENEMY IN ORDER TO DEFEAT HIM, TO CHALLENGE HIS POWER IN ORDER TO DESTROY IT, TO SEARCH OUT THE CANCEROUS SORE IN ORDER TO HEAL IT, TO UNDO AND short, ALL THE WOE AND WICKEDNESS SATAN HAD WROUGHT AND PROVE HIS OWN DEITY AND messiahship IN THE CONQUEST OF MORAL AND SPIRITUAL EVIL. CORE COMPONENT OF THE MISSION OF CHRISTI, THE MISSION OF CHRIST, IS COMING AGAINST CONFRONTING, COMBATING, DESTROYING EVIL. THAT IS WHY WHEN WE READ THE GOSPEL ACCOUNTS, WE SEE THIS APPARENT INFLAMMATION OF DEMONIC ACTIVITY, RIGHT? WHEREVER JESUS GOES, THESE DEMONIC MANIFESTATIONS POP UP. IT'S BECAUSE JESUS IS CONFRONTING EVIL. that, THAT CONFRONTATION OF THE SPIRITUAL REALM IS BEING MANIFEST IN THE PHYSICAL. And so since Jesus is on mission to confront evil, we would expect an inflammation to display a manifestation of it in his presence in the gospels. That shouldn't surprise us. It would surprise us if we didn't see this demonic activity manifest in the mission of Christ. So that helps us to understand why we see some of the things that we see in the gospels. Now, consonant with that is this. Wherever the mission of Christ goes forward, IT WILL ENCOUNTER OPPOSITION FROM THE DEVIL SINCE IT ITSELF IS OPPOSITION TO THE DEVIL. WHEREVER THE MISSION OF CHRIST GOES FORWARD, THROUGH US, IT WILL ENCOUNTER THE OPPOSITION OF THE DEVIL BECAUSE IT ITSELF, THE MISSION OF CHRIST, IS OPPOSITION TO THE DEVIL. AND THE CHRISTIAN LIFE, YOU MUST KNOW, IS A CALL TO THAT MISSION. THE CHRISTIAN LIFE IS A CALL TO THAT MISSION. THE CHRISTIAN LIFE IS NOT MERELY ABOUT US BEING RELIEVED OF GUILT AND SHAME AND THE WEIGHT OF SIN. IT'S NOT MERELY ABOUT THAT. THAT'S A FUNCTION OF IT. IT'S NOT MERELY ABOUT THE BLESSINGS THAT ARE GIVEN TO US BY GOD. THAT'S A PART OF IT. IT'S NOT ONLY ABOUT SOMEDAY GOING TO BE IN GLORY IN HEAVEN WITH THE LORD. It is also about being on mission with Jesus. Him accomplishing His plans and purposes in the world through us. The Christian life is a call to mission. And the more that you endeavor to live life on mission, the greater degree of spiritual opposition you will experience. If you're wanting to live your life for the plan and the purposes of God, IF YOU'RE LIVING A LIFE ON MISSION, YOU'RE GOING TO EXPERIENCE REAL SPIRITUAL OPPOSITION. WARFARE, IN VARYING DEGREES, IN CERTAIN MANIFESTATIONS, SHOULD BE THE NORMAL STATE OF THE CHRISTIAN LIFE. BECAUSE WE'RE IN THE MIDST OF THIS CONFLICT, OF THE KINGDOM OF CHRIST GOING FORWARD, COMING AGAINST THE DOMAIN OF DARKNESS. AND SO, THOUGH THERE IS A PEACE THAT ABIDES IN CHRISTIANITY, AND THOUGH THERE ARE MOMENTS OF REST, WARFARE... IN VARYING DEGREES, IS NORMAL IN CHRISTIAN LIFE. IN FACT, WE COULD SAY FROM SCRIPTURE AND FROM HISTORY THAT DEMONIC OPPOSITION IS THE HALLMARK OF ALL FRUITFUL AND EFFECTIVE MINISTRIES AND PERSONS. DEMONIC OPPOSITION IS A HALLMARK, THE DEFINING MARK OF PEOPLE AND MINISTRIES THAT ARE FRUITFUL. IF A MINISTRY OR A PERSON IS DOING DAMAGE TO THE DOMAIN OF DARKNESS, they can expect a backlash. Satan doesn't just roll over. He he fights back in this current moment in history. That's that's what we're dealing with. And so if you're going to live life on mission, if you're going to do any damage to the domain of darkness, there's going to be a backlash. Some of you know what I'm talking about because you're wanting to live life on mission, and there's some real opposition, and it's gnarly. Some of you have been on, on... MISSION TRIPS WITH US, AND PRAYER TOURS IN CITIES LIKE LONDON AND SAN FRANCISCO, AND YOU'VE EXPERIENCED THE BACKLASH. YOU COME HOME AND YOU GET ATTACKED. PRIMARY RELATIONSHIPS ARE ATTACKED. COMMUNICATION GETS WEIRD. TEMPTATION is INCREASED. OPPRESSION, DEPRESSION. THERE'S SOME PUSHBACK. IF YOU'RE GOING TO PUSH AGAINST THE KINGDOM OF DARKNESS WITH CHRIST. NOW, WE SEE THIS IN THE MINISTRY OF JESUS. We see this happening. We also see this in the book of Acts with the early church. They dealt with demons. The kingdom was going forward. There was demonic opposition. We see it throughout the book of Acts. We also see it after the book of Acts. Early church history and the writings thereof are replete with stories about demonic opposition, demonic manifestations, the early church having to deal with that conflict. There's all sorts of writings from the early church fathers about that. SO WE SEE IT IN THE MINISTRY OF JESUS, IN THE BOOK OF ACTS, IN HISTORY AFTER THE BOOK OF ACTS, AND BELIEF IN DEMONS AND EVEN DEMON POSSESSION, BETTER WORD IS DEMONIZATION, HAVE PERSISTED THROUGHOUT THE ENTIRE CHRISTIAN ERA TO THE PRESENT DAY. BUT IN RECENT HISTORY, CHRISTIANITY HAS SUFFERED THEOLOGICALLY IN THIS AREA OF DEMONS. There's a man by the name of Rudolf Bultmann who died in 1976. And he was arguably the 20th century's most influential interpreter of the New Testament. Rudolf Bultmann died in 1976. One of the most influential interpreters of the New Testament. He developed the idea of demythologizing the New Testament. Demythologizing the New Testament. Here's where he's coming from. He he realized that the New Testament writers were working from outdated worldviews that were full of false, that were full, excuse me, of false assumptions and primitive pre-science myths. Now, to a certain degree, that's true. The New Testament writers had a certain worldview. There were certain superstitions in their culture, just like there is in ours. Certain assumptions in their culture, just like there is in ours. We always want to approach the Bible objectively to get the truth of it, not interpret it through our cultural lens. So that, that would be an error. But there is no true objective being other than God Himself. What we believe is that God is the author of the Bible from beginning to end that the Holy Spirit authored it and inspired men to write these words. So the overriding factor was not their biases or their cultural realities or their worldview or their pre-scientific assumptions, but the truth of God communicated by God for all time. That's where we go with that. But where Boltman went with that was to a different place. He said that... What we have to do is demythologize the New Testament. We have to remove certain aspects of it, myth in it, he would say, in order to recover the intended spiritual truth. And some of those cultural presuppositions would cloud the truth of Jesus Christ's cross and his victory over evil. He would suppose that science, psychology, and philosophy have reshaped our modern perspective as they have, that we understand physical, spiritual, and mental things differently. But here's then what he would say. He would say that what we have in Mark chapter 5 is, is not... A MAN TORMENTED BY DEMONS. THAT'S THE MYTH OF IT. THAT'S THE SUPERSTITION OF IT. THAT WAS THEIR worldview. WHAT WE REALLY HAVE IS PERHAPS SOMEBODY WHO WAS AN EPILEPTIC. THAT MIGHT EXPLAIN SOME OF THE VIOLENT BEHAVIOR. OR SOMEONE WHO WAS PSYCHOTIC. SOMEONE WHO HAD MENTAL ILLNESS. AND THAT THE WRITERS DIDN'T UNDERSTAND THEIR PRE-SCIENTIFIC THINGS ABOUT MENTAL ILLNESS and, AND DISEASE AND SO ON AND SO FORTH. SO THEY JUST THOUGHT ALL THIS STUFF WAS DEMONS. First of all, the New Testament draws clear distinctions between demonic activity and disease and things like epilepsy. Matthew chapter 4, Matthew chapter 8. In fact, Matthew chapter 4, round about verse 24 says, and they are bringing to Jesus people who were demoniacs, epileptics, taken with various diseases and illnesses. Draws a clear distinction. The book of Acts draws the same distinction between people who were dealing with demons and dealing with disease. So it doesn't seem to me that the New Testament was confused about those things. You know, Boltman would say that the man of Mark chapter 5 is merely a psychotic who is suffering schizoid paranoia. And that psychology, medication, and counseling are the answer to such a problem, not the casting out of demons. Now, we we who are astute and, and students of the Bible would say: wait a minute, Mr. Boltman jesus is the one casting out the demons so did jesus not understand it? if the issue at hand was really merely medical or psychological did jesus get it wrong they would say no jesus didn't get it wrong but they would give us something called the accommodation theory which says that what jesus endeavored to do was to accommodate the myths superstitions worldview presuppositions of that culture AND SO HE WORKED WITHIN THOSE TO REVEAL TRUTH. SO IF THEY THOUGHT IT WAS DEMONS AND JESUS WOULD DEAL WITH IT AS THOUGH IT WERE DEMONS, HE ACCOMMODATED THEIR INCORRECT PERCEPTION. WAIT A FLIPPIN' MINUTE. IN THE BIBLE, I DON'T SEE A JESUS WHO ACCOMMODATES ERROR OF ANY SORT. HE CONFRONTS ERROR. SO THIS IDEA OF DEMYTHOLOGIZING THE NEW TESTAMENT IS WANTING, IT'S LACKING, AND YET, IT SEEMS TO HAVE IMPACTED American Christianity's understanding of the New Testament to a great degree. For example, 40% of American Christians are convinced that Satan is not a living being, but merely a symbol of evil. 40% of American Christians don't think Satan is real, he's merely symbolic. To add to that, 19%. THINK THE SAME THING, BUT THEY'RE NOT TOTALLY SURE. THEY THINK MAYBE THAT'S TRUE. SO WHAT WE HAVE IS 60% OVER HALF OF AMERICAN CHRISTIANITY THAT SAYS, YEAH, WE DON'T THINK THE DEVIL'S REAL. OKAY, THAT'S A PROBLEM. TO EXACERBATE THE ISSUE, ONLY ABOUT ONE QUARTER, 26% TO BE EXACT, OF AMERICAN CHRISTIANS BELIEVE THAT SATAN IS A REAL ACTUAL BEING AS DESCRIBED IN THE BIBLE. Only 61% of evangelicals believe that demons are active in the world. (laughs) What are the other 40% thinking? Here's why this is a huge problem. Because almost 70% of American non-Christians believe that demons are active in the world. Do you see the disconnect? that they have a stronger belief in demons out there than we do in here in the American church. In fact, our culture is enamored with demons. In 2009, a film came out called Paranormal Activity. It was a horror horror film, excuse me, about a young couple who was experiencing demonic activity in their home. And this film is one of the most profitable films ever made based on return of investment. They made it with 15,000 bucks and it earned over $100 million. It's absolutely huge. Our our culture was enamored with it. It was obviously a ghetto film, 15 grand. (laughs) They made over $100 million from the thing because it was about demons. Who can forget The Exorcist? The exorcist is burned on our common cultural psyche. I mean, it's just burned on it. We've all got that image and that sense of that film. It's, It's actually shaped who we are as American culture to some degree. There's a disconnect. We are sent by Jesus. The church is sent by Jesus into the world to confront and combat demonic activity. But we don't believe in it as much as they do. You see the problem? How can we help then? How can we hear the cry for help? Like this man was crying out day and night. How can we hear the cry for help if we don't actually believe the kind of things that are in the Bible? Now, we know and we agree that oftentimes things that look like demonic activity are medical, mental, psychological issues, that it's not necessarily demonic. We know and we understand that. It's interesting because some of those um, behaviors of mental, medical, chemical imbalances, psychological issues look much like behaviors of people who are demonized. It's because the human body can only do certain things, manifest in certain ways, and so there's just this, thing where they look alike. That's, that's difficult. All the more reason why we need to discern. To make it worse, my experience has been that it's usually not either or. It's usually some sort of combination of the two. You know, Satan's a smart adversary. If he sees a weakness, he's going to go after that, right? If you're in a street fight and you pop the guy in the eye, and you cut his right eye, you're going to keep popping that right eye, right? You're going to bust that thing open. You're going to go after that weakness every time. If Satan sees that there's some sort of chemical imbalance, some sort of mental thing going on, some sort of psychological issue, he's, he's going to come and want to capitalize upon that, come and work in that very issue. That's just the way he is. and We're the same way with some enemy. That, that makes it difficult then because neither party of practitioners can thoroughly deal with the situation. You can't medicate demons away. And if there's a real medical issue, a real psychological issue. There's a place in a time that that needs to be dealt with. And then there's a, a place in a time and an instance where the church in the name and the authority of Jesus Christ, that we'll talk about next week, needs to deal with that. That's a difficult situation and it's often a combination of the two. But what I want to do is just highlight the fact that this stuff is real, that there is a spiritual component to so much that's going on and the church in America has not seen the fullness of it. Therefore, we just keep sending people back to the doctor. I love doctors. Some of the people I love most in this world are doctors. We need doctors. God used a doctor to write some of the New Testament. Luke, It's wonderful. But what if someone needs spiritual help? That's where the church is supposed to come in. The call that I'm making to the church in America is that we need to be more biblical. We need to be a church that is more biblical. We need to come to understand that the things that we see in the Bible are real and true, that they happen. We need to have a more biblical view of demons, a true view of demons. We need to have a bigger view of Jesus and his kingship and his victory over the enemy. But that's next week. (laughs) Right now, I'm just saying we need to have a more biblical view of demonic activity in the world. And what we see in Mark chapter 5 is a man who was tormented by many demons. The demons said that their name was Legion. And that... Culture, Roman Empire, a Roman legion was 6,826 men. I don't know if there's actually 6,826 demons. The point is there was a bunch of them in this man and he was severely tormented and tortured. He had superhuman strength because of this demonization. He would cry out continually. He lived among the dead because of them. He would cut himself because of them no one knew what to do with him. No one in his community knew how to deal with it. The question that we need to ask ourselves is, does this sort of thing, does this sort of thing happen today? We, we've read enough, we, we've been given enough missionary biographies and autobiographies to be pretty confident that it happens over there. Yeah, we're pretty sure that stuff like that happens over there, like Africa and India and Haiti and places like that. Yeah, we're pretty sure it happens over there, but we're not talking about over there. We're talking about being on mission right here. What I want to know is, does this sort of stuff happen right here? Does it happen in Carpinteria, Santa Barbara, Ventura, the coast of California, and places like this? In a moment, I'm going to introduce you to Emily Bally. Emily Bally is a wife of one of our pastor elders here at Reality, Dominic Bally. He's our music minister. For point of reference, he's the one with dreadlocks. And Emily is married to him. Emily, uh, I know her very well. I've known her for years. Her family is very close to my family. Emily is one of the most Jesus-loving, spirit-filled on-mission women of God I've ever known. I'm incredibly impressed with Christ in her. I've seen the fruit of her life and her family's life. I've seen him respond to the Lord, obey the Lord, follow the leading of the Lord. I've seen fruit come from that that's affected thousands of people. I, I, I've received of that. I've been the beneficiary of, of some of that fruit. I've been blessed by the fruit of her life and her obedience. I have the utmost respect for her as a woman of God. And I want you to know her story. Come on up, Em.
1: Hi. Well, I grew up going to church, and I remember even standing up and making some sort of decision, but I didn't really understand God's gift of salvation. I was a normal kid. I got good grades, and I was a cheerleader. And... Um, When I was in junior high, we stopped going to church. And around the same time, my mom became very sick and almost died. I blamed God and became rebellious against love and any kind of truth. And this started with a change of friends, which led to experimenting with alcohol and then into smoking weed. And at that same time, I decided to study different religions. It wasn't long after that decision, my freshman year of high school, that a note was passed to me in my math class that said, if you want to study witchcraft, go to the library at lunch. And so I went to the library at lunch and began to study witchcraft. It turns out the guy who was in charge of the meeting was being tormented by demons, and. He made a deal with the demons. If, they, if this guy led a coven of 13 witches into witchcraft and then left them there for the demons to have their way with them, then he would stop being tortured by these demons. During the following weeks, I also um, found my drug of choice, which was meth, and became immediately addicted. I shaved my head and dyed it many colors, and... Um, was completely gothic. As I went deeper into witchcraft, the power of darkness was very real and instantly gratifying. I would stay up at night calling on evil to fill my room and thriving on fear. I would stare into the mirror and not be able to recognize my face. It was distorted and it was evil. And um, I attempted suicide many times. And I became numb to life and I didn't care about anyone or anything. I began to cut my body, to feel something. I would watch the blood coming out of my skin and not feel a thing. If anything, it felt good. To study witchcraft, yes, there were books that we read or seances that we performed or chants that we learned, but it was more than that. It was like someone or something was teaching us what to do and what to how to do it. I remember coming to school one day with three cuts that I had cut into my hand, and the other 12 members of the coven had also cut three lines on different places of their bodies. At that time, I thought it was really cool and freaky, and, but now I realize that There were demonic forces impacting and driving our very thoughts and actions. Nobody had to tell us to go home and do this. It was all a demonic force. I still have scars on my hands from the spells I cast years and years ago. I was tormented day and night by fear and by death this mysterious darkness that I thought was so cool and rebellious was, it became too powerful and it began to consume me. My poor mom was at a loss of how to handle me. I remember her taking me to the movies one day to work on our relationship. And her, re, she, her telling the story and remembering, she says that on our way home from the movie, the car became freezing cold and I began to speak in a different voice. And when we got home, I remember sitting at the dining room table and I got, and she she started saying, I love you, I love you. And all I could hear, it was just hilarious to me. I just started laughing. And she recalls that that was a low, dark, evil laugh. And I got up from the table, and she started to say something about my dad or something, and I felt like something was choking me, and I fell back onto the couch, and I don't remember anything else after that. When I was passed out on the couch, the demon said, I am self-destruction, and my mom got on her knees, and she started praying, and she cast the demon out of me. It was another year until I fell in love with Jesus, and before that, I ran away from home and my mom found me and rescued me and took me to drug rehab and I stopped doing meth and stopped hanging out with my witchcraft friends. The night I went into rehab, we were in the ER waiting to get my vitals, um, which my liver was failing and I was way underweight and I was listening in my headphones to Marilyn Manson and my mom was praying and I said, don't pray, and she looked at me, and she said, you'll never stop me from praying, and I was like, oh, and I felt the power of God, and I know that's why I'm standing here today, because God honored my mom's prayers. Being demonized isn't some ancient mysticism. It's very real and very sneaky, and it's running rampant in our culture today. Working with youth, I have met and talked to a number of girls who've been gunned down this path of destruction and darkness. I've had girls tell me, I feel like something told me to cut myself or to smoke that or to have sex. Girls right here in our cities. And when I read this story for the first time of a a demonized man cutting himself, I, I said, that was me. That guy was me. And only by the power of God was I set free and Satan no longer has a grip on this life. The power of Satan and his demons, it's not to be ignored. It's something to recognize and to know how to battle. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, and against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. This is real, but not to be feared, because we battle from a place of victory. Jesus Christ has conquered sin, death, and the devil, and the battle belongs to the Lord.
0: So there is an example of demons doing to a person in our culture, in our time, in our place, just what they did to this man in Mark chapter 5, the same thing. This is not removed. This is not myth. This is not only 2,000 years ago. This is happening now. Does this stuff still happen? Gee whiz, just this Friday night at our college ministry, some of the young college leaders cast multiple demons out of a young man right here in this room. At our men's conference just a few weeks ago, some of the men prayed for another man who had demons and the demons left. In our offices, we've cast out dozens and dozens of demons over the last few years. There's been... Several instances where I've cast out demons right here in front of the stage after the service, between services. Several weeks ago, cast demons out of a young girl right over here in the prayer area and her life has been changed. I tell you this to let you know that this stuff is real, that it's happening, that it needs to be dealt with, that we're called to deal with this stuff. Almost every single pastor or elder on my staff has cast out a multitude of demons. Another member of my staff Uh, Recently, led an elementary-aged girl to the Lord. Led her to the Lord, and they didn't see her for some time, and then they got to see each other again, and the staff member writes this. When I saw her again, she came bounding up to me, filled with excitement. She told me with great joy, the bad girl has gone away. I asked her to explain, and she told me, every night after my parents put me to bed and the lights go out, a very evil little girl will climb into my bed. I always want her to leave and she never does. But the night that we prayed to give my heart to Jesus, when she crawled into my bed, I looked at her and I said, I don't want you here anymore. I belong to Jesus now. The little girl looked at me very angrily and I told her again that I belong to Jesus and wanted her to leave. And after that, she left and she's never come back. I mean, this, yeah, praise the Lord, what? This is a little girl who, who was tormented. This thing came in her bed. She took authority in the name of Jesus. We'll talk about it next. We can dealt with it. I mean, this is real. This is happening. And how can half of the church in America ignore this when so much of this demonic activity is directed toward our children? How can we not be awake to this? This was brought to the forefront of my life a few years ago. Born and raised here in Carpinteria, lived in Ventura for two years. And uh, it was two years just before we started this church. And the prayer meetings that eventually birthed this church were down there at my house in Ventura. We got the ball rolling and we're strategizing from down there. I moved back here just as the church was starting. So we were entering into a new season of mission. It was going to be fruitful. It was going to affect thousands of people. There would be more churches, so on and so forth. Because we were entering into a new season of mission, we experienced a new and previously unexperienced degree of spiritual opposition. I was waking up in the middle of the night. I'd be woken up. I'd be full of fear. I'd be terrified. There'd be the very obvious presence of evil, and I would be physically restrained. In my bed, couldn't move. No no matter what I did, unable to move, unable to speak, knew that I needed to speak the name of Jesus was a great battle just to get the name Jesus out of my lips. Woke up on multiple occasions where something was holding my face, violently holding my face. I couldn't move my mouth. I couldn't see. It was covering my eyes. Had to fight to get the name of Jesus out. On one particular occasion, I was woke up this way in the middle of the night and my son was screaming in the room down the hall, my firstborn, Isaiah. And I fought this thing in my room to get away from it, rebuking it in the name of Jesus, ran down the hall. And when I got to Isaiah's room, the only way that I could explain it is it was like walking into ice, cold, electric liquid. It was glowing. It was electric it was freezing cold and Isaiah was screaming at the top of his lungs. It was terrifying. I verbally rebuked the devil and demons because that's what we see in the Bible. Told them that they had to leave. They left that night and it happened several other times. Same thing. I called in reinforcements, friends who are now a part of this church. We prayed through my house. We ultimately got the victory and they never came back again. My wife slept through all of it. Just the grace of God upon her. She just slept. There I am next to her. And she's just. Just the grace of God upon her. But what was going on was we're entering into this new season of mission. And demonic activity wanted to stop it. Wanted to thwart it. And I got to be honest with you. They almost did. Because when, when, my, when my son was being attacked that way, when you walk into your child's bedroom and there's that much demonic activity and they're in utter terror, it was almost enough for me to call it quits. I had some heart-to-hearts with the Lord where I said, Lord, if this is what it means to do this church plant, to be in the season of mission, I'm, I'm, I'm not down for it. I'm not, I'm not gonna count that cost. It's, it's too great of a cost. I, I can't endure my children going through that. Now lord has been kind to me since then and has changed my perspective i value jesus over my own children over the well-being of my family i trust jesus enough to follow him into mission no matter what the consequences but it almost derailed mission at that time this spiritual opposition now here's the deal the moment I say this, hundreds of you have heard. You're all gossip, so you're going to tell your friends. Hundreds of more people are going to hear. It. It's going to be on the radio. It's going to be on the web. It's going to go around the world. Thousands of people are going to hear this. And thousands of people are going to think that I'm weird. Many of you right now, you think, wow, he's tripping. <laughs> I think you're tripping. I think we see this sort of stuff in the Bible. I think we see radical, demonic opposition and manifestations in the Bible. I think that Jesus Christ gives us a victory over it, that to the degree that we're living on mission, we should expect it, we're gonna experience it, and that we can walk in victory against it. But that's next week. For now, 2 Corinthians 2.11 tells us not to be ignorant of the schemes of the enemy, unless he take advantage of us. We, we can't be ignorant about these things. One of the things I really wanna impress upon you is this. One of the main areas of influence, one of the main battlegrounds for demons and for Satan is the area of, in the realm of thought, idea, worldview, perception, okay? One of the primary areas of demonic activity is the area of worldview, thoughts, ideas. Why? Ideas change the world. Ideas change history. Ideas cause genocide. Ideas bring about ethnic cleansing. The Holocaust is the result of ideas. Ideas change the world and change history. So demons are very concerned about their influence in the realm of ideas. Now, we can trace demonic influence through the predominant worldviews of the history of the last 1,500 years or so. If we take the pre-modern era, which is about from the year 500 A.D., 500 years after Christ, to about the year 1600, the pre-modern era, it was characterized by an intense belief in the supernatural. Everything was seen through the lens of the supernatural. Everything was a cause and effect of deities and demons, animism, spiritism, this intense belief in the supernatural and without some empirical ways of sort of testing truth, humanity became in bondage to this worldview, this idea that, that everything is supernatural, that there's a cause and effect to every little thing. And so they were in bondage to that, enslaved to that in that moment of history. Then comes the modern period, right? Starts around the 1600s, um, the Renaissance, enlightenment, scientific method. And now what the modern worldview does is rejects supernaturalism and that everything is supernatural and it gives attention to the rational, the observable, the provable. If I can't observe it, if I, if I can't prove it, if I can't reproduce it by the scientific method, then we reject it. What is exalted in this worldview is Man. It started with Descartes. Descartes is the one who said, I think, therefore I am. In other words, I can prove my own existence. We can't prove God's existence. So the point of reference now in the modern period was no longer God, but the point of reference was man. And it was believed that man could know everything. The epistemology, theory of understanding of the time, theory of knowledge, was that man could grow to know everything, that through science he could discover and understand and unlock all the secrets of the universe. That was the epistemology, the theory of knowledge. We can know everything, that that humanity will achieve untold greatness. And, you know, during the 18th century... Science was on such a trajectory that it looked like man might know everything. And so the supernatural now is, is, is pushed to the periphery because it's not, it's not provable. Then there came the postmodern period. Postmodernism was a reaction to modernism. Modernism was the rational, the objective. We can know all things totally. Postmodernism comes along and says, oh, that kind of failed. We don't think we can know everything. In fact, we're unsure if we could really know anything at all. Under modernism, humanity was in bondage to self, to humanism. In, in postmodernism now, humanity is in bondage to the fact that we don't think we can know anything fully. So your opinion is as valid as my opinion. In fact, everything is a matter of perception, perspective. What's your perspective? Then that's what's true for you. And so culture becomes in bondage to this idea because there's no absolutes. Nobody can lay down the law. There's no for sure's anymore because we don't think we can know anything totally and completely and for sure. And so humanity is in bondage to this. And so we say, well, there's no absolute truth, so there's no absolute morality. So who are you to say this is wrong? And I'm not gonna say that's wrong. And if everything is a matter of perspective, then... RELIGION IS MERELY A MATTER OF PREFERENCE. AND HUMANITY BECOMES IN BONDAGE TO THIS. AND WE COULD SEE THE DEMONIC INFLUENCE OF IDEAS FROM BEING ENSLAVED TO THE FALSE SUPERNATURAL TO BEING ENSLAVED TO THE OVERLY RATIONAL TO BEING ENSLAVED TO THE IDEA OF WE JUST DON'T KNOW. WE COULD SEE DEMONIC INFLUENCE. AND WHAT THE CHURCH has to wrestle with through every period of history is this. What does the blinding, deceptive lie of Satan look like now? And then in our own time, we need to do that on a macro level and on a micro level. So we need to ask for the world, which the New Testament says lies in the power of the evil one, what does the blinding, deceptive lies of Satan, what do they look like in the world? What is the world believing And then we need to talk about it in culture because the the work of the enemy, the deception of the enemy, the lies of Satan are going to be different culture to culture. He's going to tell Americans a different thing than he's going to tell those in India. Then he's going to tell some of those in Africa. Then he's going to tell some of those in South America. Different lies, different deception. We need to begin to discern. This is why it is so incredibly imperative and vitally important that we know the Bible. Because the Bible is a plumb line of truth. We must be a people who are saturated with truth, who have marinated in the word of God because the church has a responsibility to identify the lies in the world that come from the enemy because ideas change the world. The lies that are being told to any culture we may find ourselves in. And then we need to find the lies that the enemy is perpetrating in various locales. IN OTHER WORDS, THE ENEMY'S GOING TO WORK DIFFERENTLY IN CARPINTERIA THAN IN VENTURA. THE ENEMY'S GOING TO WORK DIFFERENTLY IN SANTA BARBARA THAN IN SAN FRANCISCO, THAN IN LONDON, THAN IN NEW YORK. SO ON on A CITY LEVEL, WE NEED TO BEGIN TO DISCERN. THAT'S WHY WE STARTED DOING PRAYER TOURS WHEN WE STARTED OUR CHURCH IN SAN FRANCISCO. WE WERE HAVING PRAYER MEETINGS HERE, AND WE SAID, WAIT A MINUTE. WE'RE THINKING MAYBE DEVIL DOES SOMETHING DIFFERENT UP THERE THAT WE'RE NOT EVEN CLUED INTO. WE WANT TO PRAY ON SITE WITH insight. So the leaders started studying the history of San Francisco. We started studying the culture of San Francisco, the religious landscape of San Francisco. We took you guys up there. We'd teach you about that. It would reveal the strongholds, and then we would go through the city, praying on site, within sites, because it's different. The lies in that city, in some ways, and the lies in this one. And then finally, not only for the world, for various cultures and for cities, but. We need to discern how the enemy lies to, deceives, and blinds individuals. Men and women, boys and girls in our lives that we care about, that Jesus loves. What is the work of the enemy against him? It, it, it is imperative that we begin to discern this. Because we want to communicate the truth of the gospel them. ONE OF THE THINGS THAT WE'RE WARNED ABOUT IN 1 TIMOTHY chapter 4, VERSE 1 IS DOCTRINES OF DEMONS. THERE'S ONE TRUE DOCTRINE, THE DOCTRINE OF JESUS CHRIST AND HIS VICTORY ON THE CROSS AND HIS RESURRECTION FROM THE DEAD. BUT THEN THERE ARE DOCTRINES OF DEMONS, DISTORTIONS OF THAT, LIES ABOUT THAT. THAT'S WHY WE HAVE FALSE RELIGIONS. THAT'S WHY WE HAVE CULTS. THAT'S WHY WE HAVE SCHISMS AND FACTIONS WITHIN THE CHURCH. Because demons are very busy distorting truth. Doctrines of demons. Once again, that is why it is imperative that we know the Bible, that we read and study, that we saturate ourselves with the word of God because demons are concerned with false doctrines, always putting them forward. And if you don't know this book, then you've got no way to discern the lies. You don't, you're just an open target. One of the things that Satan is always going to do is cast dispersion on the authority, the truth, the inerrancy of the word of God. That's what Satan did with Eve in the Garden of Eden, right? Satan came to Eve and said, Eve, hath God really said, did God really say that you can't eat from this tree? Is that really what God meant? It's not really what God meant. He just wants to keep good things from you. That's exactly what is pervasive in our culture right now. The whole debate, and I pray that it's a friendly, civil, kind, humble one, between a homosexual community and Christian community, is does the Bible really say that? It's a whole debate. Did God really mean that? Is that really valid for right now? My, that, the whole thing hinges on that. Satan can cause spiritual blindness, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. You guys have witnesses. There's someone, you look at their life, they seem just ripe for the gospel. You explain the gospel to them, and they're like, uh, I don't know, it doesn't sound too good. You're like, What are you talking about? How does that not sound good? What what, what part of free gift of eternal life do you not get? How is that not good? And they're like, I'm just not seeing it. They can't see it. The God of this world, lowercase g, Satan has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they might not see the gospel. That's what it says. So we need to deal with that with spiritual means. It's next week. Deception, as we've been talking about. And and because it's deception, it's not always gonna look like Mark chapter five. It's not always gonna be obvious. In fact, 2 Corinthians 11 says, even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it's not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. It'll have a veneer of rightness, a veneer of, of logic, a veneer of good. Veneer of human benefit. But in its core, it's deceptive. One of the main things that demons do in our culture in the realm of ideas is cause people to think that they're good enough to get through. That they have a, a wherewithal that will carry them through a, a self-confidence. That when they stand before God, their, their good will outweigh their bad. Satan doesn't always tell people how bad they are. In our culture, he usually tells them how good they are. Because that keeps them from the gospel. I'm basically good. I'm doing pretty good. I'm better than this guy. I think I'll be okay. I'll make it through. Jesus dealt with this with his religious audiences. In John chapter 8, he said to them, you're of your father the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father who was a murderer from the beginning. He doesn't stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Deception. Uh, if, If you're not saturated in the word of God, you'll never see it. So you're ineffective in mission, in the world, in culture, in cities, in your sphere of influence. OTHER TIMES, DEMONS INSPIRE THE OBVIOUS AND POPULARLY WICKED. HOW DO WE NOT SEE DEMONIC INFLUENCE BEHIND ABORTION? HOW DO WE NOT SEE THAT AS UTTER DEMONISM? HOW DO WE NOT SEE DEMONS BEHIND CUTTING? DO YOU KNOW HOW MANY YOUNG LADIES THERE ARE IN THIS TOWN WHO CUT THEMSELVES? HOW DO WE FAIL TO SEE THAT AS BEING DEMONIC? HOW DO WE NOT SEE THE ISSUES OF THE DAY, LIKE HUMAN TRAFFICKING, AS BEING UTTERLY DEMONICALLY INSPIRED? A WORK OF SATAN GOING ON IN OUR WORLD. HOW DO WE NOT SEE RACISM AS BEING FROM THE PIT OF HELL? HOW DO WE NOT SEE PERSECUTION AGAINST THE CHURCH WORLDWIDE AS DEMONIC? THE OVERARCHING GOAL OF DEMONS AND SATAN IS TO MAR, MUDDY, DESTROY, AND PERVERT THE BEAUTIFUL IMAGE OF GOD IN PEOPLE. to keep us from being who God is, a community of love, a true giver, selfless expressions of love, and to make us be a people and a culture of greed. That's what he's doing in our world today, marring the image of God in us as true giver, selfless giver, to make us greedy takers. Jesus said that Satan came to kill, steal, and destroy, and it's not always going to look like Mark chapter 5. So, the question is in your context, the mission that Christ has you on, how might you begin to see deception? How might the Lord open our eyes to see lies that our children are believing, that our wives are believing? that our civic leaders are believing? How we, can we combat those false ideas and those lies with the truth? How can we start to see wickedness exposed, a thin veneer of something good for humanity but exposing the wickedness behind it? And how might we, to a new degree, see the opposition that's coming against those of us who are living life on mission? need to begin to see that. There, there's two gross mistakes that we as Christians make. One is... We don't see the devil in anything. We're like, oh, yeah, I just kind of. Uh. The other is we see the devil in everything, right? The, those are two mistakes. You stub your toe, you're like, oh, Satan, I rebuke you. I stub my toe. <laughs> you're, you're in the grocery store. You're looking for your favorite ice cream. It's not there. You're like, oh, the devil, where's the ice cream? Oh, the enemy. You know, and there's that camp within Christianity that anytime someone is struggling with some sin, they're trying to cast out that demon. The demon of overeating, the demon of having a bad hair day, the demon of this and that. Need to read First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, which says, No temptation has overcome you, but that which is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not let you be tempted beyond that which you are able to bear. But with the temptation will provide a way out that you might stand up underneath it. In other words, the gospel removes the excuse from the Christian, the devil made me do it. YOU JUST CAN'T BLAME EVERYTHING ON THE DEVIL. YOU NEED TO READ JAMES CHAPTER 1. IT'S YOUR OWN LUST THAT TAKES YOU TO THAT PLACE. BUT YOU ALSO CAN'T JUST THINK THAT THE DEVIL'S NOT AT ALL INVOLVED. THAT WOULD RENDER YOU INEFFECTIVE IN MISSION. LORD, GIVE US WISDOM TO DISCERN THESE THINGS. HELP US TO KNOW TRUTH FROM ERROR. MAKE US WISE. MAKE US SAVVY. AND LORD, BEGIN TO TEACH US ABOUT WALKING IN YOUR AUTHORITY. Lord, I pray covering over anybody here that's unsettled or, or fearful. Jesus, I wish that right now I could preach part two about your victory, but we're just gonna trust you, Holy Spirit, to minister the victory of Christ over these things to us. And begin to enlighten and educate us. If anybody's here and you're struggling with this stuff, you feel like there is demonic activity in your life, prayer team is gonna be up here. There'll be pastors, elders up here. They're equipped by the Spirit of God to deal with that. We want to pray for you. If you're fearful in any way, if you have questions, we want to help you in those things, okay? Really, this is the house of the Lord. Lord is able to deliver. You heard Emily's testimony. If you're dealing with any of that stuff, please let us pray for you. Jesus Christ sets people free and renews them. And for the rest of us, we really ought to worship this beautiful King of all kings. Amen? Amen.